This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 20th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has backed away from a threatened veto of the Defense Authorization Act now that it's passed both houses of Congress, but not for the reasons you might think. There's plenty wrong with how the legislation deals with the subject of due process rights for Americans. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in Defense and Homeland Security Studies at the Cato Institute. We spoke last week. I think the controversy about the... um that provision uh, in the overall uh, authorization bill from the Senate is a little bit misplaced uh, because there is a waiver that lets the president um, not put uh, suspected al-Qaeda terrorists and their associates in in military detention, avoiding criminal trial if he so chooses. Uh, And I I also think the way I read the law, at least, I I think he could just avoid declaring them suspected al-Qaeda terrorists in the first place and say that's why we have trials uh, and then avoid the uh, bite of the law uh, that way without even resorting to the waiver. So to me, the the real problem with the bill uh, is a different section. uh, uh, It's section uh, 1031 of the bill, um, which uh, sort of reauthorizes, arguably at least, reauthorizes the war. And uh, it says that uh, Congress affirms that the authority of the president to use all necessary and appropriate force pursuant to the authorization of military force includes the authority of the armed forces of the United States uh, to detain covered persons. And then it says that that is uh, a person who planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks of September 11th or those who harbored those people. And then also a person who was part of or substantially supported al-Qaeda, the Taliban, or associated forces that are engaged in hostilities against the United States or its coalition partners, including any person who has committed a belligerent act. So um, that's a very broad definition of uh, what the war we're fighting is. Uh, It's applied specifically to detention. Uh, but it's, it's uh, I think, dangerously broad. Dangerously broad because the Congress has not until now uh, said, uh, given such broad authority to the president to execute the war on terrorism, the authorization of military force passed uh, prior to the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001 limited the people targeted uh, to al-Qaeda and uh, those who uh, harbored it, the Taliban. Uh, it said those who perpetrated September 11th and those who harbored them. So that, to me, means al-Qaeda and the Taliban. The president subsequently, Bush and Obama, have interpreted that for, uh, as a very broad mandate to uh, kill uh, almost anyone that they deem to be associated with al-Qaeda or detain them. And their uh, ability to do that has been limited slightly by uh, the Supreme Court, which has uh, done so by giving habeas rights uh, to both Americans and non-Americans uh, to challenge uh, their, their detention by the military. Um, but the courts have actually asked Congress to say uh, what it thinks about these claims of authority by the president that have been made so broadly over this time. And th- this is the first time that, that Congress has really um, – opined on the subject. And, and that matters, I think, because the way constitutional jurisprudence works in this country these days is that the president's powers are said to be at their highest uh, when Congress has endorsed them. Uh, his constitutional powers get a boost from congressional endorsement, at least that's the, the way the law is interpreted most of the time. Um, and so now, arguably, Congress has done that, and that means uh, th- this might be cited in future cases where Americans are detained. Uh, the law does say uh, the uh, the section of the Authorization Act does say um, 
this section should not be interpreted to enhance presidential war powers. Uh, and uh, because of an amendment that Dianne Feinstein got added, it says, uh, and it shouldn't, it, it doesn't decide either way on uh, whether the president can detain Americans on American soil. But I think that those sort of provisions um, in some ways go against the common sense reading of what the rest of the bill says. And I think if you look at it broadly, uh, the Congress is endorsing war powers uh, that, that would allow uh, him to do uh, those things which the bill says uh, it, it's, it's not allowing. So it's, it's a little bit complicated, but I, I think it, it is arguably a broad uh, grant of discretion uh, that, that hasn't uh, before been given. And by the way, the House bill, um, the House Defense Authorization Bill is worse. It just says we reauthorize uh, the use of force uh, against uh, al-Qaeda, its associated forces, the Taliban, uh, and basically anyone uh, the president thinks is associated with the war on terrorism. It's a very broad grant of authority, not just for detention. And, and that's whether or not we get the House language or the Senate language is going to be resolved in conference. But I think either way, either way it's going to be bad. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's totally unclear who an associated force of al-Qaeda is. I mean, that, that's sort of basically like saying, you know, the president can detain anyone he wants. Um, and not only that, but it's, it's very unclear what al-Qaeda even means these days. I mean, the, the meaning of the, that term has become very vague. You know, guys in chat rooms in Europe who sort of subscribe vaguely to that ideology or even guys in chat rooms in the United States, are they al-Qaeda? So it's, it's a terrible, I think, a terrible statute. And uh, I hope the, the president vetoes it. But if he does so, it will probably be for the wrong reasons. Leaving aside the fight over uh you know, who has what power, whether it's the president or Congress, or whether or not this is a, a power to detain Americans is even a power that falls to them in this uh, uh, war on terror. But uh, what of the policy itself, the detention policy itself versus uh, trial in a U.S. courtroom for Americans? I think as a, as a general principle, even if war powers are legal or constitutional uh, in their exercise, they ought to be minimized in a, in a liberal or free society because Almost by definition, you know, detaining someone or killing them is about as contrary to liberal ideology as you can get. And why would you want to sort of maximize the use of those just because it's legal? It seems to me you ought to minimize it. Um, and therefore, the burden ought to be on those people who think it's a good idea to use war powers broadly to explain why they're necessary in every case. And I think um, in this case, uh, there's not a good case uh, just from a pure security standpoint for using military detention as opposed to criminal trials. And the reason for that is because criminal trials, I think, produce better information about terrorism over time. So, for example, uh, the 9-11 Commission report, uh, which is pretty good history and I think bad has some bad public policy recommendations, but the history uh, is based largely on uh, – transcripts of trials that we had in the 1990s in the United States, criminal trials, uh, federal criminal trials, which, as it turned out, revealed a lot of very useful information uh, about the al-Qaeda organization. That's one example. Another example is uh, the case of the would-be underwear bomber, uh, Mr. Abdul Muttalib, who was trying to blow up a flight uh, over Detroit. Um, he wound up he, – he went to criminal trial and he, he uh, was interrogated by the FBI both before and after Miranda warning and gave them a lot of information about terrorism 
uh, in Yemen. And then he, he wound up pleading guilty on the first day of his trial. Had he not pled guilty, had it gone, uh, had the trial gone through and been litigated, the uh, federal government was going to allege that um, the plot that uh, Abdul Muttalib, the underwear bomber, was trying to execute was organized in part uh, by uh, Anwar uh, al-Awlaki, the um, jihadist propagandist who the government says uh, had graduated to being an organizer of terrorist plots. And we killed him with the drone strike, even though he's an American citizen, in Yemen a few months ago. And the administration has not told us uh, what evidence they have to indicate that he was something more than a propagandist, that he was an actual terrorist organizer. Um, so I think it would be good uh, – it would have been good for us to hear in court why the government uh, thought this gentleman was a terrorist so we could understand what criteria they used to decide to kill American citizens overseas in the name of counterterrorism. So that's just an example where it's good for the taxpayer, for the citizen in terms of the information we have about our government to have a criminal trial. Trials are adversarial. Adversarial conversations uh, tend to produce better information uh, than one-way conversations because uh, the two sides are evaluating each other's claims. Um, so I think that if you look at the record of criminal trials and terrorists of terrorists in the United States, it's been a pretty good one uh, in terms of convicting people and getting information, and there's no reason to abandon that system. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in Defense and Homeland Security Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.